Okay. I think we are live now. And I hope some people will join the teaching later. If not, the message is also being recorded for YouTube and it's going to be on someone audio. I determined to begin a series of messages that has the heading of arching heading of what did Jesus actually accomplish on the cross? What did he come to do? Because there's a lot of people, professing Christians, preachers, who are just saying words and never really saying exactly what it is that he accomplished. Because words have meaning and we need to define what those words mean as far as God has given us understanding. So I determined to make my gospel position clear to those who have not been paying attention. The problem is people don't pay attention. Don't. They don't listen carefully. They listen to one message, listen through to 20, 30 minutes, then they're gone. And then they do the next thing with the next message, and they're gone. And then they're gone for three, four, five, six, eight months. Then they try to come back. And then they try to form opinion on things that they do not know. So we have a message here, in many ways, a continuation of what I taught last Sunday from Exodus chapter 12. But I'm going to be working the teaching from Matthew 27. We're going to be leaning heavily on Matthew 27 and work the testimony of the Passover and Christ and what he did to accomplish the work and what the work was and is. So this message, you probably have a number of titles but the title that I'll probably give it is Jesus, the Passover, Jesus and the Passover, and the cross. Jesus, the Passover, and the cross, and this being our gospel fundamentals, part one. I'm a gospel preacher, and that means I am a Christ preacher. And that means I am a cross preacher. And that means I teach and believe that when Jesus came to Palestine, he was just not loitering. He came to accomplish righteousness for his people and to justify them. 
And this I'll set to prove from the scriptures so that your faith should not be resting in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Yeah? Can someone hear me? Uh, am I being clear? I can't see this far. Did anybody say? Oh, okay. Bring on the camera. All right, I'm going to have to start. Okay? Uh, I'm going to have to start. Sorry, 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 sorry. Bring them on camera. Okay, uh, let me do this. I'm going to delete this. Okay. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know if... You were not hearing me, or you were not seeing me, but I decided to restart the broadcast, okay? I can see myself, so you should be seeing me, okay? So this is what I was saying. The matter of the gospel needs to be defined, the gospel needs to be defined because preachers are hiding behind a lot of big words that they are not defining. Words like justification, like propitiation, redemption. Jesus accomplished Redemption. But what does that actually mean? We have to define what those things mean. And so I determined to begin a series of messages that are titled, What Did Jesus Accomplish on the Cross? What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? And today's message, in many ways, is a continuation of what I taught last Sunday from Exodus 12, even though we are going to be leaning heavily on the book of Matthew to work the testimony of Christ as he was going to the cross. So I've titled this message, Christ, the Passover, and the Cross. Christ, the Passover, and the Cross. May the Lord give us understanding. Let's go before the Lord and ask for his blessing. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you for this time that you've granted us to gather around the word of Christ, the gospel, that we may learn of what he actually accomplished as he was in Palestine, as he was on this planet to serve his people. May you help us by your spirit to hear and to help me also to speak that which is faithful and true, even if it goes contrary to the traditions of men. For we are not in this to honor men, but to honor our God and Savior, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray for this time. Help us, Lord. We pray in your precious name. Amen. 
So I'm going to begin this way. We now go into our message. It's a very wonderful message. I'm still a little bit dry because I had to come from work. I had to do errands along the way. I had to come running and prepare this message. I wrote this message today. So I'm warming up. I'm going to warm up. The Lord is going to help me. Okay? The Lord is going to help me. But hear this. I'm a gospel preacher. And that means I am a Christ Jesus preacher. And that means I am a cross preacher. And that means I teach and believe that when Christ came to the world, when he came to Palestine, he was just not loitering around. He was not on vacation. He came for a specific purpose, on a specific mission. He was a man on a journey. He is the man that is referenced in the parable of the Good Samaritan in the book of Luke. He is the man who was on a journey. And everyone who goes on a journey is a man on a mission. So Jesus came as a man who had a mission to accomplish. So he came to accomplish righteousness for his people. And that means to justify them. And this I will say to prove from the scriptures. So that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. If I can't prove it from the scriptures, then it can't be binding on your conscience. You have to be able to read the scriptures and show them to someone and say, this is what God is saying. And that's what I'm going to do. And God was preaching this very matter in the things that were happening to the Lord as he was headed to the cross. Jesus was already preaching his accomplishments. He was already preaching his work. What it is that he was doing and for whom he was doing it. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. And we are told he came to serve his people from their sins. You shall call him Jesus for he will serve his people from their sins. And that does not mean he came to stop people from sinning. Because there's none who has ever stopped sinning. None has stopped sinning. It means he came to justify his people from their sins by way of paying a redemption price on behalf of them to God. The matter of which he said, the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That is what he came to do. 
to give his life by way of the death of the cross. And that by that death, he would make the ransom payment to release, to set his people free, to set the captives free, to set the captives free. So what is a ransom payment? It is payment that is given to secure the release of a prisoner. A prisoner in the gospel context is one who is in captivity to sin and its judgment, which is death and condemnation. Death and condemnation are what? Those are the judgment of sin. So this language of ransom, redemption, reconciliation, does not work. If there was no prior condition or situation that required them, you cannot use redemption. If there was no situation to redeem, you can't use reconciliation if there's no relationship to reconcile. So what is assumed and known in this matter of ransom, what is that saying to us? Number one, that the person to be ransomed was in a captivity situation. And number two, that they could not ransom themselves to freedom, could not pay their way out. They could not pay their way out. And that's saying, there's no sinner who could and even now can pay their way out of God's condemnation. Not by anything that they are doing or will ever do. And that is why the Lord Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, if he gains or wins the whole world, and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will a man give in exchange for their soul? What do you have to give in exchange for your soul? What do you have in your bank account of righteousness to give in exchange for your soul? The same was spoken of in Psalm 49, 6-9, where God says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, those who trust in their wealth of self-righteousness, in their wealth of their own goodness, in their wealth of their knowledge, in the world of the money, those who trust in themselves. They boast in the multitude of their riches. Verse 7, God says, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. None of them. If you can't give a ransom for your brother, guess what? You can't give a ransom for yourself. 
Why? Verse 8. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever. The redemption of a soul is costly. The redemption of your soul is costly. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. That he should be redeemed and not die. So, let's go back to the words of Jesus again. The Lord said, What shall a man give in exchange for their soul? A soul has to be exchanged. Exchanged from what? Exchanged from a state of condemnation to a state of justification, to a state of righteousness before God, to a state of acceptance before God. And God says, none has anything good enough to give, to make a good exchange with him. And many will try and have tried and have failed because they're doing an illegitimate transaction, an illegal transaction. So what then, Jesus What then? God comes and he preaches to us the truth of how that exchange has to be done and by who? The ones that the Son of Man has to ransom. So he comes and he is headed to the cross because his time has come. The Lord prayed and said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Why? Because I finished all the work that you sent me to do. So Christ is headed to the cross. He is headed to Mount Calvary. And his first stop was with Barabbas. That's where we'll pick up our teaching. His first stop was with Barabbas. And what was the matter with Barabbas? Barabbas was a thief, like me. Barabbas was a murderer, like me and you. Barabbas was a political activist. He wanted to make things better for his people. And Barabbas found himself in prison, in chains, On death row, we have to set up the scene. Barabbas is in chains. He is in a yellow jumpsuit. Barabbas must die. The law had Barabbas to die, and rightly so. Barabbas was worthy of death. Because the soul that sins must die. And you and I were worthy of death, even on our very best day, we were worthy of birth, of death. But there's more to Barabbas than what meets the naked eye. And God will help us with the understanding of the transaction. There must be a transaction that must happen between Barabbas and Jesus 
if Barabbas should not die, if Barabbas should not hang, there has to be a heavenly transaction sanctioned by God. And this transaction cannot be caused by Barabbas in any way, form, or shape. Barabbas is oblivious to the matter at hand. And it doesn't matter. Because this matter of exchange is not of man's doing or knowledge, but of God. It is apart from man, but it is for man. And it is apart from the law. The law could not help Barabbas at this point. The law had Barabbas in trouble. So God begins to preach the gospel through the people who were gathered around Jesus to crucify him. None of these people knew anything about what they were saying. But God was using them to say everything that was true about the moment, about the occasion. And if you miss that, you cannot understand what is happening. So the matter comes down to who should set Barabbas free? Barabbas or Jesus? Who should be set free? In other words, who should die in the place of another? And what is the immediate result of that death? Because the one who dies is the one who sets the other person free. So if Jesus owes his freedom to Barabbas, to Barabbas dying in the place of Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is in chains. Then Barabbas is he who set Jesus free. And Jesus would owe his life and his exaltation to a sinner like you and me. And that cannot happen. Okay, hear this from Matthew 27. Verse 20 and we'll work a few of the verses, the following verses. Matthew 27, verse 20. Matthew writes and says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now you have to define these people. Who are the chief priests? What do they represent? The chief priests are the Levites. They are the mediators of the law. And what does the law say should happen? The law says Jesus should be destroyed. He should die because that is what the law testified of him. He was to come and die. And what happens when he dies? then Barabbas must be set free. Barabbas must, set, must be set free. Both Jesus and Barabbas cannot die. One of them has to die. That is what must happen. So do not separate this transaction. If Jesus is taken, then Barabbas must also be set free. And immediately, 
That is how these things are related. But how does Barabbas, a sinner, get to go home, get to be set free? He must be justified from all his sins. Don't miss that. Barabbas is guilty. He can't just go home. He must be justified from all his sins. God cannot sweep the sins of Barabbas under the carpet. So what does God do with the sins of Barabbas? Because if we can understand Barabbas and Jesus, then we can really know what the gospel is and what Jesus accomplished when he came. So what happens to the sins of Barabbas? They must be imputed to Christ. And that means Christ immediately gets guilty of all the sins of Barabbas. All of them. And if the sins of Barabbas have been put on Christ, who gets to go home that day? Is it Christ or is it Barabbas? It is Barabbas. Barabbas must go home. So what did God cause Pilate to pronounce in judgment? Verse 21 of Matthew 27. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said Barabbas. Hear me, someone Follow the arguments. Pilate represents the testimony of God to the sinner on account of Jesus. And God is speaking through Pilate and saying, who should be set free in this transaction? And the people were very clear and they were very faithful. They said, It must be Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. The thief and the murderer must be set free. He must be justified from all his sins. As far as God is concerned, Barabbas is not a thief and a murderer anymore as long as Jesus has showed up. Jesus has showed up to take the place of Barabbas. Barabbas can only go home if he has been cleared of his guilt. So now, Christ is he who is guilty of Barabbas' sin by imputation. Thus, Christ must take the place of Barabbas in condemnation. And Barabbas must take the place of Christ in justification. This is not typology. This is not Jesus giving us an example. This is the real deal. Jesus was not a type of Jesus. Did you hear me? Jesus was not a type of Jesus. Joseph was a type of Jesus. David was a type of Jesus. Solomon was a type. Isaac, Abraham, you name them. There were types of Christ, 
But Jesus was not a type of Jesus. He was Jesus. So when Jesus stands in the place of a sinner, that's the real transaction. He was not rehearsing salvation. He was accomplishing salvation. Okay? Verse 22, Matthew 27. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Did you hear that from Pilate? He said, what shall I do with Jesus? What must be done to Jesus for Barabbas to be set free on just grounds? Who is that who has to do something with Jesus? That is not Pilate's decision to make or to call on what to do with Jesus. And that is not my decision. Not your decision to make as to what should be done with Jesus. That is God's decision from before the foundation of the world because Christ was appointed to die, lamb slain before the foundation of the world as a surety, as a representative of his people. That was not Pilate's decision to make. So Pilate was speaking above his head. God was speaking through Pilate. And if your sovereignty is law, you won't be able to see what I'm saying. So something must be done to Jesus. If Pilate, if Pilate sorry, if Barabbas should be set free from the dungeon of prison, sin, death and condemnation. Something must be done to Jesus. If you still remember what happened to Jonah on the ship with the mariners and they came under the waves under the storm of God's judgment and in the conversation we came to a point where the Mariners came to Jonah and said, what shall we do to you so that this storm may come for us? What shall be done to Jonah? What do you do to Jonah? Jonah said what? Lift me up. Don't miss that. Lift me up and then throw me overboard. So Jonah is a type of Christ has to be lifted up as Christ is lifted up on the cross that the storm may be made calm. And as soon as that happened, guess what happened to the waves? They died like a puppy. They calmed like a puppy, I meant to say. So that's the theology. What should be done to Jesus? Okay? So for Barabbas, someone has to come and ransom him from death and condemnation. Someone able to stand and to bring the payment that God will accept. Someone must justify him here and now or else 
Barabbas is going down to the pit. Let me repeat that. Someone has to come and stand in the place of Barabbas or else Barabbas is going down to the pit. Barabbas is going to be hanged. Someone who is able to serve him. Someone who is able to propitiate for all his sins must come. So what has Barabbas found at this point in this developing story? And for that we go to Job 33. Job 33 verse 19 and following. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh was away from sight and his bones stick out which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. Verse 22, pay attention. His soul draws near to the pit and his life to the executioners. This is where Barabbas was. His life, his soul was drawing near to the pit and that is where you and I were. Our life, our souls were drawing near to the pit and had fallen to the executioners. And what happened? Verse 23. If there's a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, yeah, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him. And there was revealed to Barabbas a messenger, a mediator, one in a thousand, which means a unique mediator, the Lord Jesus, who was gracious to him, gracious to choose him to salvation, gracious to stand for him, gracious to pay for him, gracious to justify him from all his sins. And when this mediator is found, what happens still in the book of Job, God says, deliver him from going down to the pit. Why? The text says, I have found a ransom. Deliver him from going to the executioners. I have found a ransom. That is the judgment of acquittal. That is the justification. When you found the ransom, you have been justified from your sins. When you found Christ, you have been justified from your sins. God says, deliver him, deliver her from going down to the executioners. Deliver him from the judgment of condemnation because I have found the ransom. God, not Pilate, not Israel, found and a ransom for Barabbas. And when the mediator, who is also the ransom, has been found, what happens? Barabbas must go home, a justified man, 
a righteous man. Yes, in God's court, Barabbas is 100% justified and he is in conformity in all matter of righteousness. To be justified is to be declared righteous in the court of God. And it implies that the person so justified is 100% in conformity with everything that the law says to be done. They do not owe the law anything because they gave the law everything that the law demanded of them. You understand me? That's what to be justified means is to be declared righteous before God and by God. And someone was trying to argue with me a few days ago about this matter of justification because they're limited in their understanding of the different expressions that carry the same idea. God does not always have to use the expression or the term justify to teach the doctrine of justification. If God says, let him go, I have found a ransom for him, he is saying, I have justified the person. Is that simple? Okay. But what do the people say to Pilate? What do the people say to Pilate? Remember, Pilate has asked them, who should I release to you? Barabbas or this one called Jesus. They all say to him, let him be crucified. Let the mediator be crucified. Let him be put to death because he is the ransom for Barabbas. And that means the death of Christ is what set Barabbas free. Not Pilate, not the Jews, not his faith in Christ. And people will say, oh, like I said in the previous message, oh, we don't know the faith of Barabbas. Who knows your faith? Who knows your faith? We know who stood for Barabbas. And if we know who stood for Barabbas, then all is well. Because the whole matter of salvation is transacted in the mediator. It is transacted in the ransom, in the one who stands on behalf of the person. So as long as we see Christ, then that's good enough. That's good enough. Faith comes later, but faith does not cause salvation. Faith does not cause salvation. It evidences possession of the ransom. It evidences possession of the propitiation of sins. And all of God's people will be brought to faith by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by the preaching of the gospel. But Let's get this right, my friends. Faith does not cause salvation. Faith is not the grounds on which righteousness is given. Christ, the mediator, 
Christ the ransom is alone the basis because he is the merit. Okay. But pay attention to this. Barabbas was not looking for Jesus. Barabbas was not looking for Jesus. But Jesus was looking for Barabbas. Because Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. That's why he came and stood for him. Jesus was looking for the demoniac. The demoniac was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus knew where the demoniac was and he went and got him. He is the good shepherd who is gathering his sheep to himself. So Jesus was looking for Barabbas. Jesus was looking for Barabbas. Don't tell me otherwise. Otherwise, Barabbas could not be recorded in the Bible. Jesus was looking for Barabbas. Looking to save that which was lost. But Barabbas did not care for Jesus. As I said, Jesus cared for Barabbas. But Barabbas was elect. Because Jesus never stands for anyone who is not elect. Jesus does not exchange places with anybody who is not elect. Barabbas was elect because Jesus stood for him. He belonged to Jesus even though he was a murderer. He belonged to Jesus even though he was a drug dealer. She belonged to Jesus even though she was a prostitute. You go and ask Sister Rehab. She belonged to Jesus. Even in her warring business. She belonged to Christ. That is offensive. But that is the truth of the gospel. But the people say again, let him be crucified. They put the justification of Barabbas to the death of Christ. What shall I do with this Jesus? With this Jesus? The people say, let him be crucified. That is what God was saying, that if the Christ is crucified, then all his people shall be set free, and they were set free when the payment was delivered and accepted by God. Jesus did not have to mail the payment to the bank. He didn't have to lick an envelope and put stems on there, lick an envelope with this payment and send it to God. No, it happened when he paid. God was not sleeping. He was paying attention. So what do we see then? We see that Barabbas was elect. Because there were many prisoners whom Jesus did not bring out on that day. We see that God's free and sovereign grace, salvation is unconditional on the knowledge of the sinner. The gospel of salvation is unconditional on the knowledge of the sinner. I'm going to repeat this again. The salvation of God's people is unconditional on what you know. You don't know anything enough for God to consider you righteous. You don't know anything, my brothers and sisters. You don't know much at all. It is by his knowledge, my righteous 
servant shall justify the many. Christ Jesus, his knowledge, it is he who justifies all his people, justified all his people by his knowledge. So we see that Barabbas was united to Christ. And this matter of union is not being preached by a lot of preachers. Unfortunately, even the sovereign grace preachers, they are not preaching union. And if you miss union, you can't have substitution. You have to have union to have substitution, to have imputation. You can't impute sin and righteousness to someone that you have no union with. There has to be union. There has to be. So Barabbas was united to Christ. And Christ represented him in death. This is the matter that people are not seeing. Union and representation. Union and representation. You cannot look to Barabbas for this. You have to look to Christ. Because Christ can only stand in the place of Barabbas if he is in union with him and if he is his surety from before the foundation of the world. Christ cannot stand for you on the cross if he was not already in union with you by election from before the foundation of the world. That is the beginning of our union with Christ. It has to be from the foundation of the world. So Christ stood for Barabbas in the same way that he stood for all of us. All the elect of his people were represented in the testimony of Barabbas. Every one of the elect of God's people were represented in the person of Barabbas. And so the Christ must be crucified. And carry the cross to Golgotha, to the place of the skull. And on his way there, this is what happened. In Matthew 27, verse 32. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Him they compelled. The soldiers compelled Simon the Cyrene to carry the cross. Why did they not carry the cross themselves? Because God had not made them wise according to salvation. But why compel Simon the Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross? You have to ask these questions. Why does God want you to know that Simon the Cyrene was compelled by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross of Jesus. Was it because Jesus was tired and helpless to carry his own cross? Was Simon the Cyrene now helping his salvation, helping Jesus to accomplish salvation? Jesus does 80% and Simon the Cyrene does the 20% of carrying the wooden cross? Is that what God is preaching? Who had more power, Simon the Cyrene or Jesus? Who had more power? Was Jesus not God? 
Was Jesus not God? Jesus always had more power than Simon the Cyrene, even in his sleep. The waters of the seas knew that the boss was there in the boat sleeping. <laughs> Jesus has more power than all of his creation combined, even if he's taking a nap. So why then did Simon the Cyrene help to carry the cross? Because Jesus could have asked the angels to come and carry the cross and nobody would have seen them. He could have done that. The answer is because Jesus was preaching. Preaching what? Preaching the Passover. He was continuing with his sermon that he had just started with Barabbas. Simon the Cyrene is the continuation of Barabbas. Barabbas had just been set free on the Passover day because the Lamb of God had come and was about to be given over to death. But what happens on the Passover? What actually happens on the Passover? Blood must be shed. Blood must be shed. And what had the people of Israel said to Pilate before then? When Pilate said, well, I don't see anything wrong with this Jesus. He is a righteous man. I'm going to wash my hands off. You do whatever you want. What had the people said in response to that? They said to Pilate, let his blood be on us and our children. Let his blood be on us and our children. And that is going back to Egypt and the Passover night and the blood of the lamb that was put on the door lentils. And God is he who caused them to say that because it was a gospel statement. Let his blood be upon us and our children. That is tying us back to the Exodus, to the Passover night. That's exactly where this is going. The blood of the Passover must be put on condemned sinners if they should live, let his blood be upon us and our children that we may live and not be condemned. The people are crying out for the blood of Christ to be shed for salvation because this is the Lamb of God. This is the blood that God sees in the darkness of our sin. They are speaking more than they know, but they are telling the truth. So back to Simon the Cyrene, where was he compelled to carry the cross? The cross was imposed on him by the soldiers. God imposed the cross of Christ on Simon the Cyrene using the soldiers. Salvation was imposed on him just as God has imposed the cross of Christ on all his elect to carry it 
with his blood what was on the cross of Christ. What had happened to Jesus before? Jesus, Jesus had been spanked. He had been beaten with many stripes. He had been scourged. He was bleeding. And he was carrying that cross on his back that was drenched in blood. And the cross that Simon, Simon of Cyrene was carrying had the blood of Jesus on it. The blood of the lamb, the blood of the sacrifice found its way on the back of Simon the Cyrene. So Simon the Cyrene is forced to carry the cross and his blood on his back because that's what the blood is supposed to do. It's supposed to be sprinkled. It's supposed to be put on the backs of God's people. He was not carrying the cross to help Jesus. He was carrying the cross so that he may have the blood of Jesus on him. He didn't, he didn't know that, but God was preaching that. God was preaching that. Simon the Cyrene had the blood of Jesus to cover him. Simon the Cyrene is elect because there's no person who is not elect who carries the cross of Christ and ends up with the blood of Christ on their back. Did you hear me? There's no person who is not elect who ends up carrying the cross of Jesus and ends up with the blood of Jesus on their back. So Simon the Cyrene is carrying the cross of Jesus. He's carrying the blood of Jesus on his back because he was elect. Someone will say, oh, it doesn't say he was elect. It's because you're not thinking. You're not reading it with gospel lenses. Simon the Cyrene is elect and is justified by the blood of the Passover. The blood of the Son of God. And now, <laughs> Jesus continues with his sermon. So we go to the cross now. The Lord is crucified. And he's crucified between two thieves. One elect and the other reprobate. And at the beginning, both of them were mocking Jesus. Before the one or the other was granted um, repentance and faith in Christ. They were both mocking the Lord. But Jesus must finish his gospel preaching. One of the thieves was opened to the truth. His understanding was opened by Christ himself. And Jesus tells him that this very day you shall be with me in paradise. How come? This was a thief. A thief who was not baptized. <laughs> a thief who had not given his tithes and offerings. A thief who had not improved in righteousness, in sanctification. And yet Jesus comes and says, 
Yes, you are a thief, but you belong to me. And this very day, you shall be with me in paradise. An immobilized thief gets the most assurance from Jesus. Jesus is declaring the thief a righteous man, a justified person. Jesus is the mediator of life and death. Jesus is crucified, beloved, between two thieves. That was purposeful. Jesus could not be crucified on the fringes, on the side. He had to be crucified in the middle to say he is the one who separates condemnation from justification. That it is he alone who makes the difference between life and death. That it is he alone who gives life and salvation to the one thief and condemnation to the other thief. Christ in the middle. It was very purposeful. It was God's design. So the thief got the assurance that that day he would be in paradise because he had found a ransom for him. He had found the mediator as did Barabbas, as did Simon the Cyrene. Because none is going to paradise who is not justified by Christ. So the thief was clean before Christ. The thief was clean, yes, a very clean and justified thief. (laughs) Yeah? So what is Jesus saying when he said, Today you shall be with me in paradise? Jesus is making a declaration of the habitation of all his people that he came to redeem. He is saying today, this very day of my crucifixion, you all who belong to me shall be with me in paradise. As far as God is concerned, you are with me in paradise because there is nothing that stands between you and paradise. I've come to remove any barriers. I've come to fulfill whatever the law required. I've come to make everything good. So you came to paradise when the Christ made the offering because it was accepted there on Mount Calvary. You were accepted there on Mount Calvary in that blood, because of that blood. And then on the cross, we are told that the Lord gave up the ghost after he had said these words, it is finished. It's finished means it's finished. It means it paid the debt. It means ownership had transferred. 
It means the exchange that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16 had happened. What shall a man give in exchange? The exchange had happened. And Jesus said, it is finished. The exchange had happened. He had translated his people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He had completely justified all of his people of all time. The sacrifice that is himself had satisfied the sin debt of all of God's people. So much that John says of Christ that he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. Not if we believe. No, he is the satisfaction of our sins. Christ is. So the sacrifice had been given and it ransomed all the captives and they had been set free. Hence, there was also, if you go and read the gospel accounts, there was a resurrection of the dead. Why was there a resurrection of the dead? Because payment had been made for them by Christ Jesus. Christ had redeemed them. He had justified them. He purchased them by his blood. He purchased his whole church. He justified his people by that payment. It was not a payment that was just deposited in the bank and hopefully it will grow some interest and hopefully then use it some time later. That is not the correct way to think about this matter. Because Christ is standing as surety. So all transactions happen in the surety. He is not waiting for you to show up. It's done by him as the representative of all his people. Okay? So all the elect were justified by him on Mount Calvary because he made the payment there. And these other questions of, also, are you saying there are elect people who don't believe who are justified? Initially, it does sound like a very good argument. But the problem is, it's ignoring a lot of gospel detail. They elect, a lot of them still even now don't know that they are elect. But that does not change the reality of the election. They are still elect. They are saved because Christ already made the payment. Whether they know it here today or tomorrow or next week, it doesn't matter. They will come to the knowledge of it. It doesn't change anything. Because it is God who justifies. <laughs> it is God who justifies. Their ignorance is not your problem. It's God's problem. And it's not a problem for God either because he already justified them in Christ. Here is Daniel. Daniel 9.24 Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city 
that is speaking to Christ. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. That is all speaking to Jesus and what he was coming to accomplish. Jesus came to finish the transgression by redemption. He finished the transgression of his people by making payment for their sins. Christ made an end of sins as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 verse 3. He says the son is the radiance of his glory and representation of his essence. And he sustains all things by the word of his power. And so when he had accomplished cleansing for sins, when the son accomplished cleansing for sins, don't just say Jesus accomplished stuff. Tell us what it is that he accomplished. He accomplished something. Jesus has a resume with a lot of accomplishments. He accomplished the cleansing of sin as the high priest. Because the cleansing of sin is work for the high priest. He accomplished it. A purging. A putting away of sins. He made an end to the purification of sin. If you read different Bible translations, they're going to be using that language of after he had paged our sins, after he made an end to the purification of sin. And that is saying what? He justified his people. You cannot make an end to the purification of sin and still leave the very same people under condemnation. It does not make sense. You cannot make a payment for something and still remain in debt. It does not make sense. If a payment has been made, then the debt has to be discharged. It has been settled. And so God comes and says, He, sorry, He, accomplished what? And brought in an everlasting righteousness. He brought in an everlasting righteousness. That's what he accomplished. An everlasting righteousness. When he showed up. And so, when speaking to the elect, speaking about the elect, the elect are seen by God in their representative. They are seen in Christ. They are seen as clean by Christ because he pronounced them all as clean. They are not under condemnation. They are not under condemnation. Condemnation for what? Condemnation for their sin? Is that not what Christ died for? Condemnation for their unbelief? Is that not what Christ died for? You can't say that. I don't know. People want to defend their theological systems, but you have to be reasonable. 
It's not reasonable to say those that Christ redeemed are still walking around in condemnation. Yes, they are walking around in ignorance. Yes, they are unregenerate. But unregeneracy does not mean condemnation. Okay? It just means the person is ignorant. And God will bring them to the truth of Christ. Okay? But God did not stop there. We are almost coming to the end of the message. God did not stop with the thief on the cross. He continued the testimony with the soldiers. Hear this in John 19, 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. The righteousness of Christ is what is represented in that tunic. It is without seam. It is a perfect righteousness. It is an everlasting righteousness. Okay? So, why did the soldiers do this? Was it because they loved this beautiful garment? Yes to their mind, but no to God. That was not the point. God was preaching that if Christ has been delivered to death, the immediate result is the giving of righteousness to his people. The garments of Christ are his righteousness. They represent his righteousness. These are garments of vindication. The soldiers are sinners. They are Gentile sinners. They also need the garments of Jesus. They also need a covering. They are still naked in Adam. They are still naked in Adam, but the second Adam has come with better garments, not the fig leaves of Adam and Eve. The Son of Man has brought in an everlasting righteousness with better garments without a sin. So the soldiers took and divided his clothes that had what? What did the clothes of Jesus have? They also had the blood, just like the cross that Simon the Cyrene carried, the clothes of Jesus, even as beautiful as they were, they also had the blood. The blood of the Passover lamb was on those garments. You have to learn to extract the detail. It is there. It is obvious. Do not think God is going to tell you to say, oh, go and look for the blood in those clothing items. No, it's there. It's obvious. Because Jesus was wearing them. <laughs> Jesus was wearing them. So they had blood on them. So the soldiers were giving testimony of what Christ had just accomplished in his death. I need you to hear me, someone. 
the soldiers were being used by God to give testimony of what Christ had just accomplished in his death. He gave them his righteousness. He gave them his clothing. Right there on Mount Calvary, Christ gave his people a covering, a covering that Adam could not give them. So the soldiers took his garments. John 19, verse 24. So the soldiers said to one another, speaking of the tunic, let's not tear it, but throw dies to see who will get it. Let's not tear the garment. Let's not tear the righteousness of Christ because it's complete in itself. Don't tear the garments. Don't tear this tunic of Christ for the sake of trying to maintain our traditions. Let's not tear the garments of Christ. And God says, this took place to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they threw dice. So the soldiers did these things. This was to fulfill the scripture. That those people who were around Christ divided the garments of Christ. The righteousness of Christ has been divided. It has been given. In other words, it has been given. The dividing of the righteousness of Christ is not cutting it with the scissors. It means it has been given to as many as should have it. It has been divided. It has been given to all the elect in the aftermath of his death. That is what Christ accomplished on Mount Calvary. He gave his garments to his people. He gave them his covering. He gave them the vindication of his righteousness. Conclusion. Jesus is preaching himself as he is headed to the cross. Jesus is preaching the fulfillment of the Passover. Jesus is preaching the exodus of God's people. The exodus of Barabbas from prison, from judgment of condemnation. Jesus is preaching to the blood that is on the back of Simon the Cyrene, the blood that God sees. The blood that God says, when I see the blood, I shall pass over you. That's the blood that Simon the Cyrene has. The son has come to set his people free because he said, him who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. Barabbas was set free by the Son of Man. He is free indeed. 
The people want Barabbas to be free. And yes, they were right. Because that tells you what Jesus accomplished for his people to set them free. And what is that if it does not mean to justify them from all their sins? When Jesus said the Son of Man sets free, he is saying he justifies all his people from their sins. That's the only way to be free. And to something that God told us. God told us the name of Barabbas. What does that mean? Bar means what? Son of. Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah. Simon, the son of Jonah. Abba is father. Barabbas represents what? The sons of the fathers who are in captivity. The sons of the fathers who are in captivity. And they have to be set free by the son of the father, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes and stands for them and they are all set free. The son of man the son of the father has to be condemned. He has to die in the place of the father's sons who are notorious sinners. You and I, notorious sinners. And we were on death row, but we've been set free. We're set free on that Mount Calvary. That's where it happened. That's where we're justified. Before God, yes, Lord. That's where we're justified. And we know this also from the testimony of John. Sorry, Matthew, Matthew 27, verse 15. Matthew says, Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished it is the custom of the Passover to set a prisoner free. It is the custom. So it is the custom. Right from Egypt, God was setting people free. But only as a picture of what Christ would come and do. It was the custom of the governor. And the governor in view is God the Father. And if you want, you can say it is Christ Jesus. He is the governor. And it is his custom that on the Passover day, when he has been given over to death, he sets sinners free from condemnation. That's his custom. That's what he does. When he has been given over to death, he sets sinners free. He justifies his people. If you have a Passover lamb that does not justify you, that does not set you free, you may have the wrong sacrifice. Okay? Hear this. I think I need maybe two, three more minutes and then I'll be out. Uh, I have to eat dinner. I last had lunch at work. Okay? <laughs> what am I saying? God set free the whole body of Christ. The elect of all time, 
as they were represented in the picture of Barabbas. He has applied his blood on them as he did on Simon the Cyrene, the blood of the cross, not the blood of bulls and gods, but the blood of Christ himself. That's what has been applied to God's people. And as to the soldiers who crucified him, what did they get? They got some clothing items. They got what? They got some clothing items. Everyone who is in Christ gets something when Christ is given over to death. Barabbas gets his freedom. Simon the Cyrene gets the blood of Christ on his back. The thief on the cross is told, Today you shall be with me in paradise. And the soldiers get the garments of Christ. Everyone in Christ is getting something that's relating to their justification before God. Do you see that? Do you see that? This gospel preaching. The righteousness that was represented in the garments was their payment. That's what God gave them. God gave them the righteousness of Christ freely. They did not pay for those garments. And in Isaiah 61, I believe, God says, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. We shall and should rejoice in the portion that is Christ Jesus and his righteousness. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. That's what God's people have and should have. Joy. Christ has justified with an everlasting righteousness. This is gospel preaching. This is Christ preaching. This is cross preaching. You preach the text. You don't preach your positions. You preach the text. And see what God will tell you. And as Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you than Christ and him crucified. I determined to know nothing among you than Christ and him crucified. If you love this Christ, you love this gospel, you're my brother, you're my sister. That's all there is to this. We are not causing anything. We don't save anyone with our sermons. A sermon cannot save a sinner. Okay? A sermon cannot save a sinner. Christ alone is the savior of sinners. God alone is the savior of sinners. I only declare the salvation. I don't cause it. Faith only apprehends the salvation. It doesn't cause it. And as Paul said, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. I have nothing to boast of. 
for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, war is me if I do not preach the gospel. War is me if I don't preach Christ. Preacher, you have to preach Christ. God wants you to preach the cross. God wants you to preach the blood and what it accomplished. So I don't want people who go about misrepresenting me. I have a lot of messages that I've taught. This is what I've always preached and believed. Whether it's from the Old Testament or the New Testament, the message is the same. Christ and him crucified. And he alone is the righteousness. From Barabbas to Simon the Siren, to the thief on the cross, to the soldiers, to you and I, Christ justifying his people from their sins. Okay? That's what Christ accomplished. He justified his people. All right. I'll stop there. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But praise God for the words that have been spoken. Let's go before him in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these many words that have been spoken. I pray that the name of Christ has been exalted. And I pray that you grant eyes, grant an opening of the understanding to as many as should hear to know and understand what this Christ has done when he was given over to death. He has done the salvation of his people. He set Barabbas free to say he set his people free when he was given over as their ransom. Christ has applied the blood of his sacrifice on the backs of his people. The blood that God alone sees, the same Christ has called us to the place of his habitation. Today you shall be with me in paradise. It's still true to all of God's people because with Christ, every day is today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the garments that you have freely given us, that you have divided to us. We had no covering. We were naked, exposed because of our sin. Thank you for that righteousness, that garment of vindication that is no flaw, that is no holes, no blemish. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for these we have gathered tonight. Be with them. May you protect them, guide them in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>